Welcome to the Total Brain podcast series, hosted by Dr. Evian Gordon, founder and chief medical officer of Total Brain. Today's podcast is about everyday physics. Now, for most people, physics is a bit overwhelming, but I have to say that I think it can also be incredibly empowering. So what I hope we can do in this podcast is to look at some practical ways that physics can be used in your daily life. And I suppose that led me to think about Nikola Tesla, who went to the Polytechnic University in Graz in Austria. So I thought I'd speak to two current physics students at the Graz University of Technology to see what their current thoughts are about physics, just briefly, generally, a few thoughts about physics in general, but specifically about their three tips and takeaways about how physics can be used in our everyday life. So I'm delighted to introduce you to two students that I've selected. The first is Nicole Obert, who is an 18-year-old first-year physics student at the Technical University of Graz and aspiring future scientist. She has a special fascination for the way that mathematical concepts we learn are used to model real-life physical physics applications. Besides physics and maths, Her passions include traditional and digital art, music, especially playing the piano, and archery. She says that having a balance in activities is very important to her to keep up her motivation. I do have to tell you, she's very self-deprecating, so what I'm about to tell you I did not discover from her, and that was she was the first student in the history of an 800-year-old school in Austria to skip a grade. And apparently, the first words she ever spoke was the number seven. Well, yep, there you go. Paul Kotgasser is a 20-year-old, first-year physics student, philanthropist, philosophy enthusiast, and artist, studying at the same university, at Graz University of Technology. He says that physics is my passion because it explains the universe beautifully and connects every single one of my interests. He has a podcast called Drawn to Us, that reflects his philosophical and practical physics interests. So welcome, Nicole and Paul. I'm going to start with asking you both just a brief summary, just a little bit of a summary of the history of physics, no problem, just to see how you would answer some of the bigger questions that we all have, you know, theory of everything and electromagnetism. I'm going to ask you to just the essence, give us the essence of that, but really as a prelude for us to really take these essences the same way we have the essence of the Big Bang, where thanks to the Hubble telescope and physics, we can see and understand what started with some idea anyway, really a good concept about what happened 13.8 billion years ago when the universe began and billions of other universes. But really that framework, context is so important in the brain. So the context of time is essential in terms of really understanding the brain. Nicole, I'm going to ask you to begin by just starting with the three pragmatic takeaway tips for people um, that you and Paul uh, have suggested for this for this podcast. Absolutely. Um, so our first takeaway is systems. How you think in systems, how you're able to apply these systems to your everyday life and your everyday issues. And the second one is Uh, analysis. In other words, problem solving and being able to look at a situation in your daily life and figure out a logical conclusion to it. 
The third is connections, how physics connects different areas of knowledge that go around in the world and how these also include the brain. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. So here, we'll come to the brain at the end, but I love those three tips. Systems thinking, analysis, and connection, and how the basis of physics can help us become better at those three. So just before we go to the practical realities, I'm going to ask you each to give me a concrete example about each of those insights of, of, of systems analysis and connection. But maybe, Paul, if I could just begin with you just very briefly to give us an essence. So we mentioned the Big Bang, but mention the essence of what is the theory of everything, the, the four main forces of the universe? Thank you for asking. I was looking forward to talking to, about this for a few minutes. So first of all, the theory of everything, as the name suggests, would explain everything that goes on in the universe from the largest scale, that being astrophysics, that being gravity or general relativity, to the smallest scale of being quantum mechanics and, of course, everything in between. And so we are right now trying in physics to work towards finding a solution between general relativity and quantum mechanics. And one of the biggest steps we've taken to get there is some guy we all know about. It's Einstein. And he has not only given us a general framework of general relativity, which explains to us how the universe at large moves and why it does, he also gave us equations and theories regarding quantum mechanics, which means uh, he has basically told us, or we've figured out, how the universe works at subatomic scales and why we can't predict the entire future. And then the theory of everything goes back to the very beginning of the universe. We're trying to find something that unifies the four main forces, as you've mentioned. And those forces are everything really governing everything that goes on inside the universe. So first of all, we have gravity, the gravitational force, which is the reason why we're not flying off the Earth. And it's also the reason why the Earth is still orbiting the Sun. And the second force I'd like to talk about is electromagnetic one. And the electromagnetic force, we'll get into greater detail about that one later on. It works between any two things that exert some kind of electric or magnetic field, and those either push each other away or pull each other close in. The third force I would like to talk about is the weak nuclear force, as you can tell from the name. It is the reason why we have nuclear power, so it powers 80% of our planet right now. And finally, the fourth force, in my opinion, the most important one, is the reason why anything exists really. It is the strong nuclear force, and that's the reason why matter holds together and doesn't break apart. So, Nicole, I'd like to ask you a question about electromagnetism, if we could expand that force, that insight, and then start moving to the practical tips of systems thinking, analysis, and connection. What is electromagnetism and what's the essence of it? Electromagnetism is, as we said, there's the electromagnetic force, which is the force of it, and then we also have electromagnetic waves. I think to clarify, I think it would be best to give a few details on waves so that we're able to understand this a little bit better. So we have our typical wave, and there are a few sizes that are quite important to the quality of the wave or certain properties of the wave. One of them is known as the wavelength or the distance between two peaks of the wave. To give a slightly more visual way of explaining this, it would be if you took a slinky and you stretched it out and then you measured the distance between two of the loops or two of the tops of the loops, 
And this would show a larger wavelength if you were to stretch it out. This is correlated with something known as frequency, which is or how many wavelengths are in one certain part of the wave. So if you would have a smaller wavelength, then you would have a higher frequency because there are more of these wavelengths packed into a certain section. These frequencies are correlated with higher energies, which is how we get to the electromagnetic spectrum. The frequencies are all shown on the electromagnetic spectrum, and they contain anything from radio waves, microwaves, visible light, up to ultraviolet, X-rays, and gamma rays. And the wavelengths that represent these waves can be anything from the billionth of a meter to, um, to several kilometers wide. And as of before, the larger the wavelength, the smaller the frequency, and therefore the smaller the energy. So because of the energies associated with these different wavelengths and frequencies, we have certain well-known effects of parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. For example, we know that visible light can't really do anything to us. We're, it's in the right wavelength, so we're able to see it. But once things start going to the UV radiation, we have well-known risks such as sunburn and skin cancer from the sun at prolonged exposure, as well as the higher we go, the more dangerous these waves become. So that's why we're hopefully not exposed to too many gamma rays at once. And so therefore, we could use this in practice by, first of all, hopefully we're not interacting with gamma rays on a daily basis. However, there are lots of waves in our lives. There are microwaves, which help us heat our food by boiling the water, as well as UV light from the sun, which is why these, these different waves, because they're different groups, interact with us quite differently. So if you put your hand in a microwave or if you leave it out in the sun for too long, they're going to hurt in different ways and we're going to be affected in different ways. So a practical way of using this information would be to say, okay, I know that the UV light has very high energies and can affect me in this certain way. For that reason, it'd probably be a good idea to bring a sun hat or not stay outside for too long. Yeah, thank you for that, Nicole. So, so it's a really great, simple summary of the, the electromagnetic spectrum. And each part of that spectrum is being converted into products that are the basis of our technology. The examples you mentioned, of course, were microwave. Loved your example about exposure to just awareness, Nicole, that, that having an awareness of how hazardous these higher frequency waves are that can do damage to us, but all the way through to the way they're being used in brain imaging technologies, harnessing that, that electromagnetic spectrum is just fascinating in the way it's converted to pretty much most of the technologies we know. I presume your practical example of sunburn, Nicole, was a good concrete tip for people thinking about how the systems help us in our daily life about sunburn. Really great start to the tips. Paul, if you could give us a second example about analysis thinking, the second tip that you both provided, what physics means to you in a practical real world sense in that regard? Uh, well, one of the things I personally really like about physics is that it explains all the things as mentioned in my bio, right? 
And so the powerful thing is that I, when I was younger, I used to go out with my dad and build some sheds in the woods. Nowadays, I would be able to build any kind of shed or any kind of structure, maybe even a wardrobe or a house on my own without any kind of special education or without any kind of preparation. I would be able to just look at those concepts and then physics would, could tell me after I simplify those things, after I look at the equations, I could be able to draw up or calculate how I need to build my things. How I need to, where I need to apply force, where I need to use hardwood or softer materials in order to withstand weather, in order to withstand time and storms, for example. Such a practical example. So Nicole's example of systems thinking with respect to a deeper appreciation of our waves that we live with and live amongst the spectrum of wavelengths in the universe and how to harness those and be aware of them. Your example about the physics of analysis is how it can lead even to the most simple, practical ways of where we build things at home. What about the tip of connection? Would maybe each of you perhaps uh, offer a suggestion about how the physics is a connector? What's a good way that you see that being useful in your daily life? So for me, it's a more personal reason. Not everybody necessarily does this. But for me, when I'm studying, whether it's physics or a language or anything that I'm investing a lot of time into, I'm sitting there for a while and have invested so much concentration in, I like to just sit down, go somewhere else and just roll a yo-yo for a while. It helps a lot with my concentration. And I've noticed I apply physical principles to the practice of just putting the yo-yo up and down. For example, how I can manipulate it to do tricks, how to get it to wobble less by, for example, making it spin faster, thinking about rotation there, and just generally being able to put some thought into that and taking my mind off whatever I was doing before. And when I get back to work, then that makes me a lot more concentrated on it because I was doing something that combined a little bit of theory with also a motor activity, as well as it just being fun to do. I love that example, Nicole. It's a physics as fun. You know, Nicole, when I talk to some people about the brain and I say, seriously, the brain is the highest fun, understanding it, seeing I can use it. Some people just roll their eyes. I go like, yeah, sure. But it is. And same with physics. I'm not a physicist, but I did a little bit of physics in my science training, but not a lot. And it was fun. I mean, just these understandings. But I love your reducing it down to here is a cutting edge physics student and seeing that how even down to to playing with the dynamics of a yo-yo is fun. It's such a great example. What about you, Paul? Do you have an example for you about the the connection tip of physics? Oh, I absolutely do. So I believe that not only is the brain fun, it's also very connected to the muscles. Uh, Learning is is connected to exercise. And so with physics, I can not only figure out how I can exercise on my own, which was very important during those last few days or the last few months because I was quarantined in my own home as everyone else, right? And so that meant I could figure out how can I use everyday objects like desks or just my floor to really exercise to push myself to the limit. And by physics, I figured out how to do bodyweight exercises and also how to not hurt myself when doing those things, which is very important to me as well. Wow, I really like that tip as well. Physics is a home gym. I love it. You're both so thoughtful and I really so appreciate what you're sharing with us in terms of our life is so interconnected with physics. 
And sometimes it's very tricky to connect the bridge between these huge concepts to our daily life. When I started with the, with the International Brain Database, I often have used this example in podcasts where to just see how Darwin distilled all his information into a stick figure of a tree and the fascination to me that he captured the reality that all sentient beings are interconnected. And that kind of essence, I think, gives us a different lens. And the example of physics is a similar and in some ways more dramatic example of that lens. So thank you for those really helpful practical tips that about systems thinking, about analysis thinking, and about connection that show us how physics can be used in our daily lives. I do want to end off about talking a bit about the brain. There are a lot of big projects about the brain. The first big one was NeuroSOAR, which is a whole lot of physicists and computer scientists to try and simulate the brain. There's one that I've um, been a little bit involved with, with some colleagues of mine, Jim Wright, Chris Rennie, Peter Robinson, but they mainly come from Roger Sperry, the Nobel Prize laureate to split the brain, and they are simulating the, the electrical activity of the brain. So we now have a crude engine, thanks to the physics and the mathematics of how the electrical activity of the brain as a system works, and that's going to be hugely important as we look at this human brain interaction, human computer interaction. What's the complementarity in your mind about the way computers and brains work? What is your thoughts on that? So I believe that computers are really good at doing certain things like logical conclusions, like math, like remembering and storing specific formulas. Well, humans are incredibly good at doing things like creativity, innovation, and connecting information. So one of the ways that I see the future going forward is that people will be able to interface directly with a computer to come up with even more and more things. And a more practical application would, for example, be that we are going to be able to type or connect with the internet with our thoughts alone. Because we've already been doing some research in those regards, we've started doing research about how you can type with just your eyes, with looking at certain letters on a keyboard. And so I think once we've really spurts that grow on, once we've gone to the greatest lengths we can there, we're going to be able to directly connect to the internet, to a computer, and just do all those things at the speed of our thoughts. Yeah, it's great complementarity. What, what about you, Nicole? Uh, so yes, kind of to build on the fact that computers are very good at certain things. One of those things is data collection and retaining data, especially large amounts that we as people would just take forever for. Computers just speed things up in that regard. So data can, of course, include anything from shopping lists to population demographics. And it helps both humanity as a whole, as well as us in our daily lives, because we're able to just make an Excel spreadsheet and building on the formulas a little bit, make a giant shopping list along with writing in, for example, what meals we want to eat that week and then also uh, add the ingredients to that. So once we just type in what meals we want to eat, it'll already fill out our shopping list for us. That would be a practical application for that, as well as providing an environment where we're able to kind of do what we want. This includes like plotting systems, even video games, and just 3D modeling software, for example. Yeah, that is the future. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, Nicole and Paul, at the World Economic Forum, has just emphasized that the future of jobs 
are going to be about creativity, innovation. The majority of jobs are going to, of the best jobs, best, when I buy best, I mean probably the most impactful and obviously the most high paying. And so it is interesting that the obvious future is this convergence about insights about the brain and how to best interface that brain with technology. And the future is already here. When we look at Amazon and Alexa and Apple and Siri and Google Home, Microsoft, Cortana, already, for example, on Amazon, Alexa, there are 40,000 skills that people have programmed uh, via their, their skills kit to help them finish tasks and do the sorts of things you mentioned, Nicole. But also there's enormous philosophical and practical importance in the way that we harness this convergence of brains and technology and physics. So thank you so much to both of you for giving us this context today. And as always, Nicole, we usually end the podcast by repetition of the three takeaways, and I'd love you to please repeat them. So our first would be systems. So thinking in these systems and how to apply them to our everyday situations. The next is analysis, using logical relations to solve problems that we come across, as well as connections, which means that physics connects various aspects of knowledge. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, physics systems, physics analysis, physics connection, And thank you both, Nicole and Paul, for helping us all see that together we can create a more effective and impactful physics, computer, technology, and brain world. Thank you. Thank you for for having us. us. Great pleasure.